0: dollar sports all right everybody how's it going i'm moose i'm here with emrod hope everyone's having a great evening it's season one episode two of our podcast glad you could join us thank you for the download uh Mike, how's it going over there in Tampa? I'm still over here in Austin. It's uh, 35 degrees and chilly. How's it going over there?
1: Yeah, it's in the 70s here, so that's pretty good. Yeah, it must be nice. <laughs> um, yeah, we got an action-packed chill today. Pretty excited. I'm having a little bit better... Well, I had a better weekend than Moose did when it came to our bets, and we'll get into
0: that for today's show. And you know awesome. you know what else is better though, is your microphone. Your microphone is so much better. I'm excited we were able to troubleshoot that. And a, a shout out to uh our buddy Wade, who is a, who's throwing us some pointers as well on, on the mic. So thanks Wade for that. Uh, so hopefully we've gotten through Mike's microphone issues. Uh, and then before Mike's going to give us a rundown of our show, but again, just wanted to let you know, we've been approved for, uh, iTunes and for Google play. So you can find us on there on their podcast, uh, apps and software. So just make sure to look for $10 sports, 10, like the digits, $10 sports on both your iTunes or your, your podcast apps on iOS and on Google play. So Mike, tell us what is on the docket for tonight's show.
1: Well, first of all, you probably jinxed us with the whole uh, talking about the microphone thing. You know, it's like when the pitchers don't know hitter; you just don't talk about it. Just let it go.
0: Uh, you're right. I, I can barely hear you, and you're starting to echo again, Mike.
1: There we go. Nah, Man,
0: just totally uh, just kidding. Just kidding. You're, you're sounding good, Mike. You're sounding good.
1: No, you're playing it safe, so I like that. So, um, going over a recap of our show, we're going to go over my and Moose's weekend and how our bets made out. Uh, we're going to go over a little bit About the Rams and the Saints game a little bit, see which each other's opinions are on that. The Patriots and Chiefs game, that was an exciting game. Both games actually went into overtime.
0: Yeah, First Um, time in NFL history that both championship games went into OT.
1: Um, a subject that nobody really cares about, but we'll touch on it since we mirror what's in season. It's the NFL Pro Bowl.
0: Oh, geez. Uh, for real. Who who cares about that? I, I think I'm going to turn it over to you at that point and I might go take my break, but uh, <laughs> man, and potentially something else that no one really cares about hockey. I know it's a low popularity sport, big in Tampa and big in, in your, your colder cities, but we'll talk a little hockey as well.
1: Yeah, surprisingly, Tampa is a huge hockey city. It's, it sells out almost every single game. Um, it, I mean, not almost. It does sell out every single game. It's pretty exciting if you're a hockey fan living in Tampa. Um, go over a little bit about baseball. Um, the Hall of Fame was just announced. So we'll go over some of the players and our thoughts on that. And we'll go over some picks of the week. And we'll wrap it up from there.
0: All right, Mike. Thanks for that. And let's start out. We're going to start out with gambling and how we did last week on our picks. Uh, Just as reminders, my picks, I took Saints minus three with the spread. I took the under, which I think was like 51 or 52. Uh, I took the Chiefs minus three and over 56 on that. Mike, what were your picks?
1: Uh, My picks were uh, what the games were. I had the Rams on the money line had the under on that game. I had the Patriots on the money line with the over on that game, which the over was 56 for the Patriots game. And the under was, I want to say, 48 for the Rams game. Yeah, game. it
0: was lower. Yeah, you're right. It was in the 40s, like
1: 48, 49. So on my $10 bet, I was able to net $191. Oh,
0: my. And I had a big fat goose egg, but, you know, I. I we all know the term bad beats. This was a bad beat and I know we're going to talk about the games in a moment, but I went in especially to the into the Saints Rams game, I was feeling great until I wasn't feeling great anymore after that questionable call and then mostly the Saints ineptitude at uh, learning how to manage the clock within 2 minutes and getting the coin flip and not, and not going down the field and scoring at least three points in overtime. I, uh, I, I was beside myself. I was so happy to get the under, but then as soon as that, that call happened, you just knew the tide's were returning, and maybe it was going to be Los Angeles' time to shine. So, Mike, I don't know if you want to lead us through our, our Rams-Saints recap.
1: And before there, another bad beat was D4 um, being out. Yeah being off sides.
0: God, don't get me started on that. I, and, and and it's funny because you know, I think both you and I were texting during the game and at halftime we were both laughing like, wow, we, I'm glad we took the over. Uh, was there a total of like 17 points at halftime? And we're like, yeah, over 56 is not looking great. And I know I was cheering towards the end of that game. I couldn't believe that we hit the over on that. But, oh, my gosh, D Ford, what were you doing? Well, we'll talk about that when we get to the Chiefs Patriots game.
1: Yeah, so as we know in this game here, um, the Rams and Saints, the Rams ended up winning on a Greg Zerline field goal. So, Moose, on that one, I mean, what was your thoughts on that game, on the whole Drew Brees, Jared Goff? Oh,
0: you, you know, we were talking about this earlier, and looking at the statistics, I know a lot of our our talking heads were like how how much Jared Goff outplayed Drew Brees. But uh, you look at the statistics, they, they are almost mirror images, Uh, I think Jared Goff almost hit 300 yards and Drew Brees was at 250 with two touchdowns and Jared Goff only throwing for one. But everything was almost identical for both teams in terms of first downs, both having almost 20, I think, aside, Their time of possession was the same. But I think at the end of the day, Jared Goff came through in the fourth quarter and outplayed Drew Brees for those for that quarter and a half of football, including overtime. And that's what it came down to. And and I I'll have to eat my words because I remember our conversation last week. I didn't believe in Jared Goff, and I don't think I didn't think he could actually do this. You saw Todd Gurley on the sideline most of the game. Uh, I was feeling really great about my Saints pick with Todd Gurley on the sideline, not playing his best game of football, probably in his career. Uh, but I could not believe that Jared Goff put the team on his back uh, along with that defense and carry them to to the win
1: yeah and like I said last week I just think Jared Goff is a guy who can make the throws as long as he attacks the middle of the field which he was doing a pretty decent amount um, he's going to make those completions um, the Saints have a very weak secondary especially when it comes to the middle of the field I mean their outside is great um, you know Marcus Lattimore one of the best young corners in the game but I mean they got to do something about that middle of the field and that's what Jared Goff just kept attacking and I mean he made the throws and he put he had the, I guess he had the colder veins for that game when it
0: came towards the end. But, you know, another point that you made, you you, you absolutely called it. You talked about the importance of that interior pass rush. And, again, uh, Aaron Donald having a monster game, maybe not on the stat sheet. Well, he did have a sack, I think, a sack or a half. And then Domkin sue also, I think, with 1.5 sacks. But that interior pass rush just disrupted Drew Brees. Drew Brees Really didn't look like himself most of the game. Uh, so I'll have to give you that. Great call on that. And I know we're not talking Super Bowl much, but I think that's going to be a big factor in determining who wins the Super Bowl against uh, with the Patriots and Rams.
1: And one thing I've noticed, I mean, when I'm watching all these games, is a team with a pocket passer, an interior pass rush is going to – if the defense has a good interior pass rush, it's going to get to him every single time. On an edge rusher – the mobile quarterbacks know how to move in the pocket and avoid the edge rushers. I mean, there are your obsessions like Khalil Mack. Nobody can really stop Khalil Mack. But with um, with a mobile quarterback, an interior pass rush really can't do much because they just take off to the outsides. An edge pass rusher on a mobile quarterback usually can stop a mobile quarterback.
0: I think another factor in the game, uh, something we alluded to earlier, uh, the total disappearance of Todd Gurley for the most of the game uh, you, you, If you follow us on Twitter Again, $10 sports uh, $10 sports on Twitter You saw us wondering Along with the rest of the football community was, was Todd Gurley hurt? We saw him on the bike a few times On TV trying to work stuff out Maybe or, or get loose uh, So that was a surprise I think another surprise for me Was uh, Michael Thomas's di- Disappearance Basically, and I, I think you have to attribute that to to keep to leave. And I don't know if you if you saw keep to performance, Michael. And if you want to talk about that for a moment,
1: with a keep to leave, he was definitely keeping Michael Thomas in check. And last week, if you do remember, I did say that the difference between last game and this game is going to be a keep to leave, and that is why it took the Rams because a key to was able to keep Mike Thomas in check. That is going to put the Rams in favor to win the game.
0: Yeah, I think the leading receiver was Alvin Kamara with 96 yards, and that was mostly coming out of the backfield, uh, making some moves and, and getting some yards, not even lining up straight up on the line. Uh, the big question and the big, I've heard the term egregious error thrown out by many, many a person discussing the game, the officiating, I I still cannot believe that call uh, and I don't think I've ever seen anything so clear cut. Uh, I remember yelling at the TV again for for a game that, you know, it's an NFC championship game, but we don't really have any skin in the game. Right. Uh, I couldn't believe that there was no call on that. Uh, What was your reaction?
1: My reaction was, where's the flag? Um, The first thing I saw was, why isn't Tommy Lee Lewis standing up, throwing up a flag, you know, signaling for a flag Um, which most players do in a situation like that. Um, But he never did that. Um, The officials just missed the call. And um, unfortunately, penalties are something that cannot be reviewed. I know there's been a lot of debate whether there should be some um, reviewing on penalties or even a challenge of penalties. In my opinion, I want to say no because I do like the human factor in it. Um, I feel that if you start reviewing penalties, you're going to have to review every single play because I'm pretty sure there's holding on 95% of long plays. There's holding or pass interference. I mean, you can definitely find a reason to call a penalty in every single play. So, I mean, we just got to trust officiating. I mean, as a, I'm not a Saints fan, but I have a buddy who's a Saints fan, and any Saints fan, if they're upset about the call, I'm not going to be upset about them being upset. And, I, you know, they, the NFL has to accept the backlash from the fans, and so does the referees. That was a very obvious pass interference that was not called. And it was just a blown save that definitely changed the game.
0: Hey, absolutely. I mean, uh, they, they call that, they make that call. We're assuming Sean Payton, uh, has a better clock management plan, you know, inside the 20, inside the 15 to, to get time down to about 20 seconds, to kick, a field goal. Uh, the, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I think I'm on. I'm with you, too. I, I don't know if we want to get to a point where we're reviewing every, every play for a penalty or anything. But, you know, something like pass interference is fairly significant. I think there's precedent in the CFL where they review uh, pass interference, especially since it's a spot foul. I think in the college game, it's a little bit different because you're only penalized 15 yards. Uh, but something that you could potentially be penalized 45, 50 yards, I would argue that that that's worth review or per- perhaps we come to a happy medium in the middle where we're reviewing inside two minutes.
1: Yeah, it's about the same. Maybe if the game's within the two minute warning or within two minutes, the referees call for a review, but, uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with within two minutes, but I just don't want the whole entire game.
0: It, and I know a lot of talk is, has been uh, talking has been done about the officiating I almost, and again, I standing out. I'm not a Saints fan, not a Rams fan. Uh, at first, I was upset, of course, because I had money on this. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I'm. You know, this is a bad beat. But when you really think about it, you know, in your opinion, did did the call really matter at the end of the day? Does that really dictate um, yes, the Saints winning does. the game? I mean,
1: if they got the call, would have had a first down. They could have just taken two or three knees and called it a game. And ran out the clock. Um, that's all they would have had to do if they would have gotten that would have gotten that call. But also, in the same sense, they did have a second chance because the Saints did receive the ball at overtime. So they had they did have the ability to drive down the field. Um, they, Drew Brees, had that unfortunate um, interception that cost them the game. So they did get an extra chance. It's not like that specific play is what ruined the game for them.
0: See, uh, I, I'm with you there. I, everyone's putting a big focus on the call, and of course it's it's a big error. It's it's a human error that, that happens in sports. But I do not think that costs in the game at all. You have two two opportunities in the first quarter where they they, they basically kick field goals instead of getting touchdowns. They had a, a turnover in Rams territory, I think, in, that ended up – they started their drive in the red zone. And they kick – the Rams defense holds them to a field goal. Uh, they give up a late touchdown as well, I believe in the first half. So the game's coming going into halftime a lot closer than it should have been. So they had an opportunity in my opinion to blow them out of the water before before the game even got going. It, of course you have Drew, uh, Drew Brees throwing an interception in overtime. Uh, we'll debate the overtime rules when we get to the Chiefs Patriots game. they they won the coin toss and took the ball. They had the opportunity to drive the field and, and win the game outright. That didn't happen. A lot of focus, I think. And maybe you could talk about Sean Payton's clock management in the last two minutes. Deciding to pass <laughs> uh, instead of running three straight, giving the Rams the ball back with maybe 40 seconds to go. I mean, what were your thoughts as you, as you were watching that unfold? I remember when on second down when they passed, I'm like, what are you doing
1: yeah, that was very uh, questionable play calling there. And to go back to what you're saying about those two field goals in the first quarter, um, you got to base on the way Drew Brees has been playing the past couple of weeks. He hasn't exactly been the Drew Brees we know. So I think Sean Payne was just taking a guaranteed points at that point. And that's probably what I would have done as well.
0: Uh, well, yeah, you know, I, and I'm not saying by any means let's go for it on fourth down or anything. I'm just saying they had their opportunities to to, to have substantial drives and get into the, into the end zone and they had to settle for field goals. I completely agree. I I think Saints fans are really overlooking that.
1: That call is going to be the only thing they talk about. Every Saints fan I talked to is just so set on that call, but there's more to to the football game than just that call. (laughs) But so I agree with you. That call did not cost them the entire game. However, Sean Payton's clock management at that point, yeah, what was he doing there? Run the ball, maybe get the first down, seal it. If you don't get the first down – Go ahead and just bring the clock down to as little minutes as possible. Kick the field goal and get, let
0: set, let your defense win the game. I don't know. Maybe Sean Payton was hearing our podcast and and heard me talking about how Jared Goff couldn't put the team on his back. So uh, I think he challenged Jared Goff, and Jared Goff definitely uh, won that challenge. Uh, so let's move on to Patriots Chiefs. That, I mean, the NFC game was was great. I, I know I was at the edge of my seat, uh, especially with the ending in overtime. And, and we can't forget before we move on, uh, two big field goals by Greg Zerline. Greg the leg, uh, also contributing to that. Uh, victory for the Rams as well. So you can't say that it's the call. I, I, I will still go back to that. They had to earn it. They had to kick a 57 yard field goal to tie it and then another field goal in overtime to win it. Right. Let's move on to Patriots chiefs and Mike, tell us about our Brady Mahomes matchup. I, I know bo- both you and I were really excited uh, to see the future versus uh, the goat right now uh, you know tell us what you saw
1: yeah I like Mahomes performance the whole game I felt like Mahomes you know was playing well the entire game Brady himself I don't think Brady was playing that well at all until the very end until about the fourth quarter uh, once that D Ford call on offsides something in Brady just clicked and he was just lights out from that point I think he knew he just blew the game at that point and he got a second chance and he was not going to put that second chance down but Mahomes overall, I mean, Mahomes is just – he's a stud. I mean, he played well. He threw the ball in the money. Um, they did a great job, the Patriots' defense, on shutting down the weapons. Uh, Travis Kelsey um, you know, was not getting his normal stats. Um, Tyreek Hill, I think, only had one catch.
0: Yeah, they had game. that one big catch. I think it was a 40-yarder or so.
1: Travis Kelsey with only three catches the whole game. Surprisingly, he um, had um, Sammy Watkins for four catches. Where does Sammy Watkins come from? But, um, yeah, he had four catches for 114 yards
0: yeah you know what i don't know if i would say mahomes played well the whole game though uh you know he was right at 50% completion uh versus brady's about you know almost 70% uh, i really saw a difference In first half, maybe Mahomes versus second half Mahomes. First half Mahomes, I think he looked like the rookie that maybe we expected him to be most of this year, and he's proven us wrong most this year. And Maybe it was AFC Championship game jitters, and honestly, the Chiefs weren't really playing that well or protecting him as well as they should have been. But the second half, Patrick Mahomes was, was maybe the best Patrick Mahomes performance we saw all year we're looking at man that fourth quarter where i think we had 31 combined points in the fourth quarter again i know both you and i were were joking like wow i'm glad we we took the over on this one and then all of a sudden the fourth quarter happened and uh our sarcasm turned into oh my gosh we we might actually hit the over on uh on that i think though what we need to talk about a little bit is the chiefs defense and how how disappointing they were in the fourth quarter and in overtime.
1: Yeah, I think both defenses. when it came to the fourth quarter, both defenses were just done run out. I think they were out of gas and it was just whoever had the ball in that quarter was going to score from going forward. It was a score touchdown or a field goal. Um, each team was going to score when they had the ball in their hands at that point. Yeah, the, I think what happened there. I mean, I think the Chiefs' defense, once that offsides penalty was called, I think that just completely tore up all their momentum as well. And then in oh, overtime, I mean, you had a you
0: had a game-ending interception wiped off the board.
1: And in overtime, I mean, like they were just dragging on from the fourth quarter. I mean, they had the game won, and then that offsides just pretty much put the Chiefs in the lead. Patrick Mahomes gave him a second light to go ahead and go into overtime. And in overtime, but at that point, like I was saying, whoever had the ball in their hand was going to score. So basically, it wasn't about who scored a touchdown. It came down to who won the coin toss.
0: Yeah. Then again, I know I was at the, again, edge of my seat watching Tom Brady convert three third and nine or three third and tens. I can't imagine being a, a Chiefs fan and being in that stadium, thinking that you have Tom Brady on the ropes, third and 10, and he converts uh, first down. Uh, and Gronkowski coming out of nowhere. Yeah, Gronkowski. Uh, few of his, uh, probably half of his six catches happening in, that, in the end of the fourth quarter in overtime.
1: Yeah, Gronkowski, he's been kind of quiet everyone's been questioning him saying that he's pretty much done yeah, he's, he's done
0: it's retire. over he should he should retire immediately but no
1: especially after last week's game I, I don't recall the stats that remember was a non-factor in last week's game well in the passing game but I but mean, yeah, they
0: they had him blocking I mean the, and I think what we marvelled at was the Patriots came out last week and they ran I formation and smashmouth football like it was 1999
1: and Gronkowski this game. But I think part of the reason they were able to run that ball is was because Gronkowski was blocking, and he was a very crucial blocker in that game against the Chargers.
0: Heck, even this game, uh, Sonny Michel had over 100 yards rushing. Uh, and again, Burke had scoring two of his touchdowns and 41 yards.
1: Yeah, but Gronkowski definitely stepped up when he needed it. And I think it's pretty much the coach making those calls. At the end of the game, he says it's what the coach ordered, what the doctor ordered. So I think they were making him pass a lot. I mean, not pass, but block a lot more than he wanted to. But he was following his rules. And then in the second half, he's Brady's number one target. And I don't think the Chiefs defense or secondary had an answer for him.
0: Absolutely not. It, at the end of the day, it ended up costing uh, Bob Sutton his job, uh, former Chiefs defensive coordinator, uh, that defense being in question most of the year. Uh yeah, I think it was his sixth year on the job. Chiefs defense has kind of been up and down, but this year really being exposed and, and being the Achilles heel of the team. I think one of the big issues that came up over this weekend, and especially how this game ended with the Patriots driving down the field, no chance for Mahomes to to come back and tie the game in overtime like maybe you'd see in college rules uh, being – how do you feel about the NFL OT rules? Uh, do you think we should change them? Do you like the college rules? Uh, what what is, what is your viewpoint on the OT rules, especially in light of what happened? Essentially, one of the biggest upcoming stars never got the ball in his hands to make a difference.
1: I think the OT rule is fine in the regular season. But when you get into the playoffs, you can't have the same OT rule. When you're in the playoffs, both teams need to have an opportunity. I think we should do something like they do in college football, where both teams you know, have the possession to score, at least in the playoffs only, but in the regular season, keep it as is.
0: You know what? I think I disagree with that because I like the NFL OT rule because you're playing at the highest level of the sport. Your defense should make a stop or... Thankfully, now that they've changed the rule a little bit, hold the team to three points. and If your defense can't do that, you shouldn't win the game. It's not like college where you're starting out at the 25 and you're just going 25 yards. I mean, you're potentially having to go down 75 yards if you're kicking a touchback on an NFL defense. I, I don't think I support changing the OT rule at all.
1: but yeah, By the time you get into overtime on an NFL defense, regardless – I mean, defense is going to be gassed. So if you have a good offense, I mean, like these two teams had, whoever wins a coin toss essentially go to win the game, unless you do have a Drew Brees moment where he does throw an interception.
0: That's what I'm saying. Uh, The Rams defense didn't seem gassed. They played the same amount of time.
1: I just think the playoffs should be slightly different.
0: Uh, I I think we're going to agree to disagree on that one. I, I like the fact that, doesn't matter if you're tired you gotta you still gotta dig in and you gotta make your best efforts
1: I don't want to use tires a, as an excuse because I mean you know you are at the highest level and you are playing you know all the minutes are required to playing that game so whether it's the first quarter or the fourth quarter you need to have the same energy and you need to you know do what you got to do to win that game but I just don't like these rules when it comes to playoffs
0: fair enough and uh, hopefully we're not looking at that getting into the super bowl did the uh, falcons patriots game go to overtime
1: the falcons patriots game did go over to overtime yeah that was
0: that was the same situation i mean tom brady uh, i don't think the falcons had the ball in overtime
1: Nope. tom brady won the coin toss and drove down and got a and
0: touchdown yeah and you know and it's funny we didn't remember having i don't remember having such a big stink about it until until this past weekend is that no one made a big deal about uh, the Patriots coming back to, uh, w- and Matt Ryan not having a chance to to come back? I, I just don't remember the outcry being as big.
1: No, Matt Ryan had a chance when his team was up twenty eight to three. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, no one feels too too bad for for the Falcons on that one. All right, Mike, it is your time to shine. Lead us through the Pro Bowl discussion as I go refill my drink. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm here to support you and your, your weird interests. Tell us about the Pro Bowl, what you're excited about, uh, maybe a few, uh, few key players and snubs, and tell us about your experience. I know you've gone once or twice over since the game's been in Orlando.
1: Yeah, um, you know, the key snub in this one, I want to say, is Christian McCaffrey, the guy had a tremendous season. I mean, one of the best well, for fantasy football seasons I've seen, the guy carried some teams in fantasy Gosh. football, and he absolutely
0: great. it was a like kind of consistent thirty points a game. It was crazy,
1: and he was definitely a snub. But I mean, if you look at the NFC, the NFC has some great running backs. Um, Todd Gurley, who um, is now playing Super Bowl, so Alvin Kamara is good stuff for him. Saquon Barkley was another Pro Bowler who was great as well. I mean, it's just unfortunately, just not enough roster space for all the great players. You know, you know
0: why, why didn't Ronald Jones make the Pro Bowl, Michael?
1: Um, who is Ronald Jones?
0: <laughs> uh, we're still asking that uh, one of our one of our great draft picks that seem to never work out, and and our our wonderful GM still remains to be employed.
1: I don't think Ronald Jones has hadn't. Maybe just a few more carries than you
0: have had as an NFL player. <laughs> oh Lord! But talk
1: about the- I
0: mean, you know. I think something that surprised me though, and, and we were kind of talking off the record on this, and thankfully it was rectified. The an initial snub for Russell Wilson, who I thought had a pretty under the radar year, almost led a team to the playoffs, uh, especially in a division where, where you're dealing with the Rams. That's a tough division. Uh, I'm happy he was finally able to to get in there with Aaron Rodgers, I believe not, not being able to make the game, but the fact that Aaron Rodgers made the game versus Russell Wilson to me was surprising. I I felt that Aaron Rodgers had a down year. Uh, You know, what do you think about that?
1: Russell Wilson? I'm not sure why he did not make it over Aaron Rodgers to start off with. I mean, Russell Wilson is a guy who pretty much carries a team in his back. I feel every single week, um, he is one of the most underrated, underappreciated quarterbacks in the league. And I think it just comes down to name. I mean, just name Aaron Rodgers a little bit of a bigger name than Russell
0: Wilson. Yeah, I guess I would agree with that, but if we're keeping to the, the sanctity of, you know, having an all-star weekend, it should be results and not name, right?
1: Oh, I completely, uh, 100% agree with that.
0: So, so tell us about your experience in Orlando. Uh, I know that, that you've gone a few times to see the Pro Bowl since it's been moved over?
1: No, Pro is just a great experience. I mean, you kind of see the players in different light. I mean, you, they're just – you realize you just saw a bunch of guys just having a good time. Um, it kind of takes the whole media backlash. Like one of the players that I was mostly impressed with was Odell Beckham Jr. You know, the media always made him Was he uh, was very temperament. You know, was kind of like a quote-unquote jerk or whatever. But he was super nice. I mean, all the players are out there, all signing autographs like crazy. Um, you know, it's just it's just like a fun, it's like a big fun party. It's like a celebration of football for the whole year when it comes down to it. I mean, I had a great experience just watching all the players. I mean, I, if you're going to watch like good football, then you're going to the wrong event. But if you're just going to kind of quote unquote celebrate football and just celebrate the year and all the best and see all the best players that you watch all year on the same field. I mean, you're going to have a great time. I, I truly did enjoy it.
0: And, and then one question I, I had, and I'm glad that you had a great experience and some of the pictures you've put up, and maybe we need to put up a few on Instagram uh, just so so folks can see where your experience at the Pro Bowl the last couple of years that you've gone. Uh, I mean, how do you feel about it happening before – the Super Bowl I know it's the NFL's attempt to to keep us engaged and like oh well, I guess I'll watch the Pro Bowl it's the week before the Super Bowl I mean do you think that really works out or or do you think it's more of a disservice to those players that maybe deserve it that are going to be playing next Sunday that may not get the recognition
1: no I think it is better to have it before the Super Bowl um, because I mean do you really want Jared Goff Tom Brady or Todd Gurley out on the field having an even slight risk of just Getting injury, just warming up to play. So
0: yeah, but I, I'd want to see him. You know, the week after they won the Super Bowl, maybe.
1: Ah, uh, for them, they're celebrating. Um, they don't have time for no Pro Bowl. They're uh-huh. they're the Super Bowl <laughs> champions. I mean, they already the whole team is the Pro Bowl once you get to that point. Uh, but no, definitely before, because I mean, once Super Bowl Sunday's over. Everyone's deleting their NFL apps, all their fancy football apps, <laughs> any of their uh, sports apps on their phone and waiting until next August to download them again. So I mean, I definitely think it's good where they had it. It kind of keeps a little bit of interest since you're know, since you a week away from Super Bowl, might as well just glance at the Pro Bowl. But the Pro Bowl on TV is not the same as being there in person. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I never watched a Pro Bowl on TV once. Um, the only reason I ended up becoming interested in it is me and my buddy, um, where one day we're like, hey, uh, and we went and we realized what a great time it was. It, it was really a great time. It's more about the experience. It's more about being there than it is about watching.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I think I would agree. I know I, I haven't gotten a chance to to go see it in person, but it's it's borderline unwatchable on, on TV. It's kind of uh, – almost two hand touch people trying not to get hurt obviously and, and for good reason it's the end of the season we, we don't want anyone tearing an acl unnecessarily and being out for basically all of next year
1: yeah absolutely
0: so i guess the bottom line is does anyone even care uh, i I, th- I feel that the question the answer to that is no i still don't tune in i, I mean i, I kind of find the the skills competitions kind of cool. I think I saw a clip floating around on Twitter earlier today of uh, uh, was it? I think it was Odell Beckham against uh, Graham Gano playing dodgeball. So, <laughs> so I guess they do some kind of fun activities like that. But you yeah, know, no at only, the end of
1: the, when it comes down to it, the only people that are going to care are the players, the families, and anyone who's actually attending the
0: program. Yeah, fair enough. Other
1: uh, than that, it's it's just another Sunday out-
0: novelty, I guess. Right.
1: Um, but Moose, one thing I want to jump into Real quick um, We're about to hit the all-star break here For the NHL So, so we're at the halfway, halfway point, point. Uh, What are your surprises and what are your Disappointments so far this half After the first half, half of hockey here
0: Well, uh, One thing I'm not surprised about Is, well I think there's a little bit Of surprise, I think we're uh, The NHL in general and maybe Most NHL fans are not surprised That the Lightning are the number one team In the NHL, but I think the sheer dominance that they've displayed this year has been, I mean, it truly has been breathtaking to watch. Even just watching on, you know, NHL.TV that I have an account to watch every lightning game. And I try my best to watch the lightning as much as I can. Uh, Yeah. Going into the bye week and the all-star break. So they get a nice, almost two weeks off, which hopefully doesn't hurt them in the long run Uh, coming out rusty uh, next week. Once they, they kick off against the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, right now, the record's 37 wins, 10 losses, two losses in overtime, which is phenomenal. 76 points. I believe they're clear of everyone by at least 10 points. I think second would be Calgary, I believe, in the Western Conference is maybe getting close to 70 points. And again, they've been playing as the Lightning have has not been playing. Uh, big leaders, I think the emergence of Braden Point has been uh, a very nice surprise. Uh, he's already at 30 goals, 35 assists. Uh, so 65 points. Kucherov leads the league in points, uh, 22 goals, 56 assists. Stamkos is uh, at a healthy 26 goals, 31 assists. Uh, I believe he's double digits in power play goals. He has his patented one timer from the circle that he, no one seems to be able to stop uh, at least regularly. Uh, and, and, our big star of course in net Andre vasilevsky 26 and 2 uh, with a nine two five save percentage of 2.5 g uh, goals against average i think that both of those are third in the league right now those are vesna type numbers if he keeps them up uh but we have to keep in mind that Vassy was out for about six weeks and it was our dependable backup Louis Deming, holding it down. I believe he won 11 games in that period. Prior to that, I think Louis Domingue had like a lifetime record of of like six wins or something like that. Uh, he's a younger goaltender who played for some really bad Arizona Coyotes teams as their backup. So I think he, when we traded for him, he was pretty thankful to get over here and just – Played lights out, keeping the Lightning in first place, uh, keeping them ahead of everyone else by far. I know you were asking surprises and disappointments. So my biggest surprise, I think, are the New York Islanders. I, I think no one expected them to be anywhere near first place in their division and and honestly they're they, they beat the lightning two weeks ago five to one i mean they, they scored three goals in the first five minutes that game was over before it started
1: but is it really a surprise though i mean considering that their coach did win the stanley cup last year and very oddly did not retain with the team
0: yeah the washington made a very strange decision i think they called his bluff in terms of money because he was on a short-term contract and he's like, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm going to New York. I think the biggest surprise why it's the New York Islanders is they lost John Tavares to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They drafted him. He was in the same draft year, Steve is He played for him for a number of years and, and decided it was time for, to move on. Uh, they've got a crazy stadium situation that's fairly unstable. They play some of their games uh, at Barclays Center. They're pl- they're playing some of their games back at uh, Nassau Coliseum where their old home where that's been going through renovation. So it's a little bit of instability there that drove him away uh, back to Toronto. Uh, so they, they really don't have any superstars on that team. Uh, their captain, Anders Lee, actually a Notre Dame graduate, and I watched him play when I was there, uh, the and maybe uh, Matthew Barzal, maybe they have Valtteri Filippula who used to play for the Flyers and the Lightning, but he's older and he's producing. Uh, they don't really have a true superstar. So I'm very surprised by that. And then out of nowhere, Robin Leonard is their man in goal. He leads the league at goals against average and in save percentage. This is a guy who struggled year after year in Buffalo. Granted, the teams in Buffalo he was playing with, not the greatest teams, and, and this is really the first year Buffalo is taking a few steps forward. But Robin Leonard right now is could potentially win a Vesna Trophy, uh, which blows my mind.
1: Yeah. Um, so how much of that do you attribute to uh, to Barry Trots
0: uh, I mean, I'd have to say a good, a pretty good amount. Uh, before then, it was Coach Capuano, I believe, that he had a pretty decent roster and I think the Islanders made the playoffs a couple a handful of times. Uh, and definitely they've got, they got past the first round once. And I believe that was the year they beat the Panthers in overtime. And it was such a big deal because the Islanders hadn't been to the second round of the playoffs since they won the Stanley cup four years in a row back in the seventies. So it had been a number of years since they've had any playoff success uh, and then all of a sudden, you have Barry Trotz. Year one, we're in first place. We're, we're, we're. I mean, they have a better record than the Capitals. They have a better record than the Penguins. Uh, just a big surprise for me. I did not expect that at all.
1: All right. Enough talking about New York's second hockey team.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. So seriously, they're and they're they're better than the Rangers right now.
1: Surprisingly, but they're still New York's second hockey team. They're yeah. like the they're like the Jets. <laughs>
0: They they are they they are the Jets of of hockey.
1: Um, so let's move on to the biggest disappointment.
0: The biggest disappointment for me, uh, ha- I mean, has to be the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, again, they took a few steps forward last year. They made the playoffs. They have a nice, they have a young roster with a few wily veterans. This year, they are seventh in their division. I mean, ironically, they're only four points out of that final playoff spot, but. Again, that's because the West is such a terrible conference this year. Uh, Really one or two powerhouse teams. Everyone else is middle of the road. Uh, And honestly, most of their playoff teams right now, points-wise, would actually not qualify for the playoffs over in the East. So it's a little bit of a weaker conference this year. But again, Edmonton has had top three draft picks, top five draft picks, probably this entire decade for the past at least seven years that they've been in the top few for draft picks and they have just whiffed on a number of their draft picks. I mean, Connor McDavid, of course, great draft pick. He's their top producer, but
1: not to cut you off, but, uh, but if I wasn't paying attention, I just jumped in now. I think you were talking about the Cleveland Browns.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a great point. They might be the Cleveland Browns of, of hockey. Disappointingly, they, they really haven't found their Baker Mayfield yet. Right. Uh, but they've been just really disappointing. There's goal scoring's down, uh, with the exception of McDavid, Ray Zadel, uh, and the Nuge Nugent Hopkins. Their four, and also
1: their goaltending has just been. Uh, You're right. Yeah,
0: I, I think you, you've been following along too. Uh, uh, Cam Talbot has not been great, and actually has been been uh, jumped over by uh, by Koskinen, who, who's a younger, goalt- older goaltender. Who finally broke out of the minors? I think he's 29, and he finally made the team. Uh, usually, you're coming in a little bit younger, and he's uh, he's taken over Cam Talbot's starting gig. Uh, but again, there's no secondary scoring. It's either McDavid, it's either Nugent Hopkins. Their fourth scorer right now is a defenseman, and he only has 24 points. Darnell Nurse, uh, and then to sum it all up, and why their GM got fired today, I would say. The Milan Lucic contract is a terrible contract. I think he's at 12 points for the whole year this year. And and again, hadn't really produced the last few years with Edmonton. so again, their, their GM was fired mostly because of not being able to draft very well. If, if you're a big hockey fan, you'll know the nail Yakupov saga where he's no longer with the team and, and really draft bust. He was taken, I believe first or second overall and, He might not even be in the NHL. I'd have to look to see if he's on someone's roster. Taylor Hall was another high draft pick, traded him away. He is killing it now with the New Jersey Devils. I think he just needed a change of scenery. And the list goes on. They had uh, Devin Dubnik, who right now is – Starting goaltender for the Minnesota Wild was in Vesna uh, contention last year uh, with Pekka Rinne winning it with the Predators, but he was in the final, I believe, in the top three the last couple years for winning the best goaltender in the league. So biggest they could is, also
1: be more coaching as well.
0: Yeah, they've had a they've had musical chairs at coaching. I think uh, Ken Hitchcock is there now, who is just a you know a, an NHL retread. That's a guy you go to when you have nowhere else to go. Uh, so definitely a a project in the making they have the talent to make the playoffs and again they're only four points out but disappointing they they should be at the top of that division
1: yeah absolutely and um let's move on over to some baseball talk i know we had um the hall of fame we had four elected we had edgar martinez mike Lucina, roy holiday and moriano rivera make the Hall of Fame. Congratulations, those four gentlemen. Distant cousin,
0: distant cousin, Mariana Rivera. Congratulations, <laughs> if you're out there hearing this on our podcast.
1: And um, two people who didn't make much traction, who are still in the battle, is Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. And um, Moose, those four guys that made it. What do you think? You think they are all four? Are you kind of like were they shoe ins? You kind of surprised by any of the four of them?
0: Well, you know, uh, I think Mariana Rivera. By far, and I believe he's the first unanimous uh, person to be elected into the Hall of Fame. That's a no-brainer. Uh, Roy Halliday as well. I mean, his stats don't look impressive if if you don't know about his career. He played on some uh, some pretty tough uh, Toronto Blue Jays teams. had had some success with the the Phillies as well. Uh, so I, I'm I'm good of him making it. I think the biggest question mark for me was Mike Messina. He, he was dominant at times I think he was fortunate on playing on a great Yankees team that that helped pad his stance a little bit uh but you know I think the other the counter to that argument is he he pitched pretty well for Baltimore and i I want to say he was on the team that that uh met the Yankees. In the ALDS, uh, I couldn't tell you the year off the top of my head, but you know that's the infamous uh, reaching over the fence play, right? If you remember that, uh, where they snagged a home run, and they've changed they changed the rules because of that. So I believe he might have been on that Baltimore Orioles team before he joined the Yankees. Uh, I don't know. For me, he he's on the fence. Uh, I, mean, I guess I'm okay with him eventually making it, and maybe it was his time now. Uh, Edgar Martinez. You know, j- all joking aside, I think deserves to be in there. I just always feel questionable about someone going in as a DH. Uh, you're, you know, you're just hitting the ball. You're not really playing the field and contributing in any other way. You're, you know, you're you're, you're playing four. You're, you're at bat four times a game. So it's, it, did you really have that great of an impact? I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: On Edgar Martinez, I mean, a DH, I definitely see where you're coming from in that aspect. But then that's kind of like saying an NFL kicker should NFL kicker be in the Hall okay, of Fame? Yeah, but or they not? score points.
0: They score points. Yeah. It's,
1: yeah so and so the DHs they hit home runs, they drive in runs, um, they get on base. They you know they do what it takes to score points. But some interesting facts here, Edgar Martinez. You know the three his batting average was actually might not believe me on this, but his batting average against the three Hall of Famers that he went in with were kind of ridiculous.
0: All right, uh, let me hear this because I actually don't know these.
1: So his batting average against Mike Mussina was actually three oh seven with five home runs. Okay. And eighty-three plate appearances. Uh-huh. Against Roy Holiday, he batted four forty-four with one home run and nineteen plate appearances. Okay. And then against Mariano Rivera, he this includes postseason as well. Wow. He batted five seventy-nine
0: <laughs> against
1: uh, Mariano seventy nine. the, Five the
0: 79, uh, over fifty percent.
1: Yep, against the unanimous Hall of Fame
0: mirror. All right. Uh, we'll let him in. We'll let him in. That's fine. I'm fine with that. I mean, I remember following Edgar Martinez towards the end of his career as we were growing up watching baseball. And you know, that's someone you you didn't want at the bat. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. That's for sure. And I think, you know, it's it's an anomaly for a DH to really make it. I mean, the next DH that's going to make it is definitely going to be David Ortiz, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: he played first base for half his career.
1: Yeah, but is he really known for first base? Come on. Nobody really knew who he was until he was uh, on the Red He's known
0: for his ESPN commercials. You know, that's my favorite Big poppy moment is, is his ESPN commercials.
1: And then um, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. I mean, I know they're, they didn't even hit the 60% threshold yet. So, I mean, they only got two years of eligibility left. Um, I, they have to make a jump of like 10 percent, which they've, I been, don't
0: they've been inching up. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think the writers I think the writers vote them in their last year of eligibility. I, I, steroids or no steroids. I, I think what what they both accomplished Right. I don't know. Playing – I just feel like the playing field was fairly equal because if everyone was doing steroids, then is there really an advantage if, if they were facing people who were playing – who were also doing steroids? Were,
1: were everybody doing steroids?
0: No, I mean your Ken Griffey's weren't doing steroids and, and all the, all the cool it. kids that, that were good and didn't fall into that. I know, but – You know, it's a steroid era era of baseball. That's what they wanted to do, and that's what the league turned its face from. And they they should not that should they should be held accountable for that, especially if the league more than likely was uh, knew about this and was part of this.
1: Now that's a good point. You know, the league definitely, if they were part of it, they turned their eye to it. They should be uh, penalized for it, but. You know, the only ones who are penalized are the ones that got caught, because I'm sure there's many out there that never got caught and were very lucky that they did or not. Um, a guy who in the Hall of Fame that always kind of bothers me is Pete Rose. I mean, I understand his whole gambling on baseball, and, you know, we don't know, you'll never know if he betted for or against the Reds, and if he manipulated the lineup to possibly force a loss in his little betting, things he had going on. But in my opinion, Pete Rose should definitely be in the Hall of Fame as a player. I mean, he's got over 4,000 hits, and everything's attributed. I mean, Charlie Hustle, he should be in there as a player alone, but in my opinion, he should never be recognized as a manager.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think I'm with you. I mean, I don't think we'll ever see a hitter hitter get close to those numbers. I mean, I think Ichiro did, but you had to combine the statistics from Japan and – and uh, his time in MLB, uh, but I, yeah, I mean the pitchers are just too good now. I don't think anyone ever get near the number of hits Pete Rose had. And no,
1: it's it's ridiculous everything he he did as a player.
0: Yeah, and you know he's enjoying life. Uh, was it you who saw him over at uh, in Las Vegas signing baseballs and uh, betting on sports?
1: Yep, I, I seen him, see him twice. Yeah. I, I seen him twice, twice in Las Vegas. Um, both times he was at a. Um kind of like a sports memorabilia store had a little chair set up there um autographs you buy a jersey that ball he'll sign up for you for a um, nominal fee
0: <laughs> what's that nominal fee
1: uh, depends on what you want him to sign oh. if it was a baseball it was like a hundred dollars a picture it was like 50 a jersey was like 200 it's pretty expensive oh. so uh, a little bit out of my price range do you
0: have to buy the jersey could i bring a jersey like how does that work
1: that's a good question i didn't really once they told me the price of the autograph i kind of just quit asking questions because <laughs> it was not on my price rate right. but i'm sure if you brought your own jersey you could probably get it signed but it'd probably be still like probably like over a hundred dollars oh. at
0: least signing fee yeah you gotta make some money on on a jersey that's likely going up on ebay right uh all right i, I think uh the big the other big story in baseball uh and we talked about it briefly last week was uh, the status of Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. And if they're ever going to sign, with anyone does anyone want them, ever, it, I kind of feel bad for them. They, they've been out in free agency for, for months now and they can't seem to to sign on the dotted line of their deals. Uh, why do you think that is?
1: I think it's just the way the game has changed. Um, it's a lot more analytical game now. So like you got your teams that have a much, I mean, their payroll is almost as much as one of these guys' contracts. They're still winning games and making it to the playoffs. Yeah,
0: great example, Rays winning 90 games last year, one of the lowest payrolls.
1: Absolutely. Um, you had the Houston Nationals. I mean, I know they did get Jester Merlander to make that trade, but, I mean, overall, just um, the Houston Nationals won the World Series year before. Did not have that crazy of a payroll either. They built their team through the draft. So I just think that um, in the value of these contracts, I mean, if you really think about it, what big contract has really panned out? I mean, you go back, think about your Bernard's Wells, uh, ten-year, two hundred fifty million dollar contract. Uh, spent like eighty percent of that contract as a backup
0: outfielder. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, Josh Hamilton got that big contract. It was never Josh Hamilton again, like he was before the contract. And Al-
0: Albert Pujols.
1: Albert Pujols, he was kind of aging, but yes, yeah, same thing. He wasn't the same Albert Pujols from St. Louis
0: and uh, i mean i have a problem with with definitely the value in it you know we all know our billy beans and uh, all those stories of moneyball and everything and how how baseball is trying to run their business i mean you know it's it's a sport without a salary cap but you know they do give you they do impose a luxury tax and i think for 2019 it's if you're over if the roster's over 206 million uh for payroll you got to pay the luxury tax so if you're looking at 206 million as your limit for most teams who don't want to don't have the money to pay for luxury tax, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper they're wanting you know something 30 million dollars a year essentially. That's that's almost 15 percent of your payroll going to one guy, and you still gotta you still gotta pay 24 other guys uh, who could potentially be more important, uh, you know, like a pitcher. Or something like that i mean who is worth that much money 30 million dollars to swing a bat a couple times and you know maybe run around and not even be that great of a fielder because they're relying on your what they're signing you for is your offense i mean what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah i mean it's you know at the end of the day it's not up to you or i to determine who's worth that much and who's not i mean you know the players are worth what the market is willing to pay them and i think that's something that baseball um the gist that I'm getting is by these players not signing to be on the free agency so long, uh, Baseball's trying to say, "Hey, you're not worth this much anymore," so the markets could end up dropping.
0: Yeah, I think we're seeing that because I, I think the last numbers that came out—I don't even think uh, teams want to do long-term deals anymore. These ten-year, you know, almost guaranteed money deals are—they're are, crazy. Uh, right now, we're hearing Machado maybe five years. 175 million, which is, you know, that's still pretty solid. It's not 30, but, you know, 28, 29 million dollars. And I think these players, of course, are trying to do good by them and and try to lock up a long term deal. And I can't blame that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, there's a lot of discrepancy between what the team wants to pay and what the players want. I mean, the players are so used to seeing, like, A Rod get the 10 year, 275, all these big 10 year contracts and, realistically, after like three or three, four five years, that's it. The players start declining. They're not worth that much. And we got to consider baseball is all guaranteed contracts. So the minute you sign that 10-year contract, you ink it, you can kind of just coast the rest of the next 10 years and still make all your money.
0: All right. I know we're getting to the end of our program. Let's quickly go through some of our picks of the week. Uh, NHL-wise, uh, everyone's going on the All-Star break. There really aren't many games to pick from so i'll, I'll give you some picks next week and NHL-, nhl wise for for just straight up picks or parlays uh michael had a you you had a few to be looking for on in the nba in the next few days
1: yeah i went ahead and put a ten dollar parlay together you know hopefully i could win you guys some money again um you know i'm one for one so far so i am a i'm a thousand on my parlays
0: hey, perfect perfect michael <laughs>
1: So this week right here, I'm going to go ahead and hit you with a parlay. is actually tomorrow. So hopefully you guys listen to this podcast before the game starts. But I'm going to go ahead and pick the Wizards plus 9.5 against Golden State. I'm going to take the under on that game. The under is 235. And I'm going to take the Lakers plus 1.5 against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I'm going to take the under on that game as well, which is 229.
0: Now, what's and, uh, what's that pain?
1: Um, $10 on that one is pain. Uh, oh, where was it? Man, hold on. Let was me... it
0: like uh, 120, 115? I forget what it was.
1: It was in the 120 ballpark.
0: Yeah. Great. Uh, I have a few NCAA men's basketball picks. Uh, these are very random, you know, just kind of, uh, scrolling through seeing how some of the matchups are rated. Uh, I think Iowa keeps it close against Michigan state. I think that game's tomorrow. Uh, so I'll take Iowa plus five and a half. Uh, there were a few weird over-unders that I picked out. Uh, I believe it was uh, Wright State and University of Wisconsin at, uh, at Milwaukee. They had an over-under of 138 combined, which I uh, looking into it, I mean, I guess teams haven't been scoring that many points, but maybe when two bad teams play each other, Will skyrocket. I I would take the over on that. And another one that I thought was interesting was uh, Miami, Florida, the U, uh, playing Syracuse, who had a big win over Duke. They had an over under of 138 combined. And uh, I would take the over on that one as well. Trying to think if there was one more game. I I think Temple minus five. uh, I think they were playing a, a pretty insignificant opponent. So that might be a safe bet as well. Um,
1: hey uh, Moose, real quick. I um, mean, an important yeah. bet I need your opinion on is: Will Gladys Knight um, will she be wearing a dress, a skirt, or a gown when she sings the national anthem?
0: Oh, yeah, no, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. I want to get into our prop bets. I know we're getting short on time. Want to keep it under an hour this time? Uh, so we'll, we'll do. We'll get into our prop bets for our Super Bowl episode next week. Uh, but I think, and you and I were talking about this earlier. I think there's going to be a good opportunity to make some money uh, picking the MVP. Because right now, outside of Jared Goff and Tom Brady, everyone's paying for $10. You could win almost $100 for anyone other than Tom Brady and Jared Goff.
1: Yeah, I was definitely looking at that. And right now, um, with that being said, I might just place ten thousand dollars on Aaron Donald. Interior pass rush might make Brady uncomfortable, make it a few sacks. And be the difference in that game. And he's playing plus eighteen hundred.
0: So ten yeah. dollars wins you hundred eighty. Yeah, ten dollars gets, gets you 180 gets you one eighty. So that's a pretty nice little bet there. Uh, and even going down, uh, you know, kind of a dark horse might be Julian Edelman having a uh a good game or or Gronkowski or someone like that. They're paying like they're right now they're plus twenty five hundred plus thirty three hundred respectively. So it's a nice little chunk of change from ten dollars if if they just so happen to win the MVP.
1: And Black to Gladys Knight, if she does not wear a skirt on the, pl- on the uh, prop bet, saying no pays one
0: fifty <laughs> right, good. So we'll, we'll keep that in mind, and we'll make those picks next week. Uh, so I know you wanted to close out with a fun fact, uh, this day in history.
1: Well, this is a fun fact, but it's kind of like not a fun fact for me, you, and us Buccaneers fat, uh, fans. But on January 23rd of 2000, this date in sports history – the Buccaneers lost to the St. Louis Rams 11 to six in the NFC championship game. I know you Buccaneers fans remember the heartbreak of that game where Burt Emanuel catch rule.
0: Oh gosh. Burt Emanuel rule. Sean King, uh, <laughs> kicking a ball into the end zone for a uh, safety. Ricky Pearl making one of the most miraculous catches I've ever seen. Ugh. Holding the the greatest show on turf to 11 points. And it wasn't enough.
1: Yeah, it was a great game. Our defense showed up, but unfortunately, our offense did not.
0: All right, everybody, and that that brings our podcast to an end for season one, episode two. Hope you had a great time with us. Uh, a few things for next week. We'll, we'll definitely get into the Super Bowl, of course, and uh, preview the Rams and Patriots game. Uh, we'll go over prop bets and how to nail them. We'll, we'll give you a few picks of ours that we'll throw some ten dollars at. And we, I know, we promised you an NBA segment. We promise that's coming next week. Uh, we'll get into the NBA a little bit more in depth. Uh, uh, Just Harden is – I think he scored 50 points again today. Uh, So, again, just absolutely on fire. And just reminders, make sure to follow us on Twitter, $10, at $10 Sports, with the digits, $10 Sports. Our website, 10, like the word, T-E-N, dollarsports.com. I think, Mike, you opened up an Instagram for us. We're on Facebook now. Uh, You can connect to all those – at our website, scroll down to the bottom. You'll see all the icons, and you can connect with us right there directly.
1: Absolutely, and uh, make sure um, you know you try to follow us and subscribe to this podcast so you get all our updates. And I want to thank you for listening. And
0: um, see you next week. We'll see you next week. Have a great week, and it's been Mike and Moose. Take care.